somebody had offended and hurt another person close to me. So in response, me and my buddies one night found this individual's car at an apartment complex, and we simply let the air out of the tires of the vehicle. Not a smart thing to do. I don't endorse that behavior. Um, I, for you youngsters out there, don't do what I did. And in, in, in retrospect, it was, it was really dumb. I mean, I could have been arrested, beaten up, shot, whatever the case is, had, had trespassing on my record. A really, really dumb thing to do. But it felt good at the time, right? Felt really good. I felt like I actually did something. I felt like, wow, I, I actually got into the game and I got that person back for what they did to someone who was close to me. Later on that week, I was at a Bible study. It happened to be a Young Life Bible study. And my campaigner's leader, the volunteer, did a devotional out of Romans chapter 12, the scripture that Tommy just read. And it absolutely changed my life, changed the course of my life. And I believe the power of God's word is going to change your life today. I specifically believe God wanted me to share this passage with you today. It's been so impactful to my life, and it's going to be life transformational to some of you this very day. Because the title of this message is, We Are Not Avengers. We're not Avengers. I know some of us want to be Avengers, and so we go buy those shirts from Walmart, right, and wear those, our, our, you know, we, we dress up in costumes like Avengers for events or whatever the case is. And Avengers are, are well thought of in our culture. Avengers are respected. Avengers are considered heroes. Avengers are very marketable for movies. But we are not Avengers. Brothers and sisters, we are forgivers. We are people who love humanity even when humanity is very ugly and evil. We are people who trust God. We are not Avengers. We live a different way. And so the scripture that gripped my heart out of Romans chapter 12, verse 21, and the first part of verse 21, excuse me, verse 19, excuse me, says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. So like right there, you could just take that phrase and go chew on it a little bit. Because when we are wronged, when something happens to us that is negative, that is our natural instinct. Our instinct is to go and to get revenge, to avenge ourselves, and that is actually celebrated by the people we're closest to. So if you're taking notes today, my, my first point from Scripture, God's Holy Scripture, is telling us to resist vengeance. Resist vengeance. And this doesn't just happen one place in the Scripture. There's some rich, rich Scriptures that reinforce this point. One of them is in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 8. Now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, should love believers. And by the way here, the reason that the Bible calls us to love believers is because sometimes it's harder to love the people we're in proximity to than the people who are on the other side of the world. All right, you know, I can say, well, I love people on the other side of the globe, but for my neighbor who's doing something irritating to me, which is certainly a hypothetical situation because I have several of you who are my neighbors, uh, <laughs> Oh, it's not easy to love them because they're 
irritating me. You know, we're, we're mo- the, the, the greatest enemy to love is usually just irritation. It's not necessarily hate. The greatest, difference, the greatest enemy to love is indifference. It's just like we write people off. We, we write individuals off. We write groups off. We write things off. And, and we just are kind of indifferent. It comes out of an irritation. So here's the deal. We cannot love the world if we don't love our brothers and sisters. And that's why uh, being part of the, the, the church is so important. Being part of a small group is because we get close and we rub up against each other and it gets irritating. And that's when the life of the spirit actually comes into play. I mean, it's only when we live life together do we really apply the teachings of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. So be like-minded, sympathetic, should love believers, be compassionate and humble. These are great words for all people, but especially our generation in our uncivil ways. But here's verse 9 is the heart of the scripture. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary... Giving a blessing. Now, you remember Old Testament law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This was totally acceptable. Jesus comes, turns things upside down and says, no, don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called to do this so that you can inherit a blessing. This is rich scripture, isn't it? This is rich scripture that the Lord's giving us today. Now, I have to give old illustrations because I've pastored you guys for 10 years now. So for the last decade, if I give illustrations about stuff that's happened, everyone gets paranoid, right? So i got to reach back. Let me reach back to high school again. Uh, so when I was in high school, a, a group of us went down to a small city in East Texas, and we helped run a BBS. Nowadays, we would have called that a mission trip and made a logo and printed T-shirts. Back then, we just helped out a preacher. That's all we did. Uh, we heard a pastor who just said, hey, I need someone to help with the VBS. We're like, hey, we'll go do it. And it was a fun week. It was a different, we, we were, we, we came from a large church. So it was a, a different experience in rural Texas and a different type of church. And the, the pastor was a fun guy. He was funny, whimsical. Uh, but it was pretty apparent even at an early age that at that point of his life in ministry, this may have changed. Uh, I don't even remember his name, so there's no threat he'll hear this or anything. Um, it was apparent at that early age that he just was lacking some, some leadership skills. Well, he came up to me at the end of the week, and I was 15 maybe, and he, he said, hey, in two years, why don't you go to the Bible college nearby and be our youth pastor? And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. That's surprising. It was my first offer of a job. And so it felt important. It was honoring. It felt good. But... After I reflected on this, and after I talked to my pastors, I realized that, yeah, I may have liked that guy, but just because you like somebody doesn't mean you want to follow that person. You've seen this happen in your life, too, where someone's likable and you enjoy being around them, but as far as, you know, hitching your destiny to that train, no thank you. No thank you. That happens in the professional world. That happens in every world. Just because someone is likable doesn't mean there's someone that you're called to follow or you need to follow. So you can apply that to a lot of different things in your life. Unfortunately, this is what some of us do. Some of us like Jesus, but we don't follow Jesus. So we like the idea of there being a church. And so this idea is like Jesus is great, especially for the kids, right? Especially for the kids, Jesus is great. 
So we'll drop them off at Awana or drop them off at the youth service. Thank God churches don't have Wednesday night services anymore because it's good for the kids, right? It's good for the kids. Um, Jesus is good for tragedy, right? Hey, national tragedy, our congressional leaders, they'll all meet on the steps of the Capitol and seeing God bless America because Jesus is great when tragedy happens. Uh, Jesus is great when it's just convenient. This is a wrong way to think. That's when we like Jesus. When we like Jesus, you know, we, we just take him when we need him. What God's calling us to be is disciples, those who follow Jesus, those who seek after Jesus. So is Jesus someone you like or is Jesus your leader? Because Jesus is a leader and he must be followed in order to be a leader. Is he the leader of your life? Here's the second observation from this scripture. Is allow God to lead your life or trust God's leadership. That would have been good too. I came right up to that second point. I'm like, what are the words? What are the words? Help me, media person. Help me, media person. Then here we are. Trust God's leadership, right? Trust God's leadership. Trust that God is at work in your life. And God's leadership is different than the world's leadership because the world's leadership is this. Get revenge. Take up for yourself. Defend your honor. Right the wrong. We celebrate that. That, that, that's where our heroes come from. And Jesus says, I'm leading you a different way. I'm leading you a different way. Is Jesus your mentor? Right? I mean, does the stuff we, we read about in the Bible, do we really apply that to our life? Or are we looking to all kinds of other examples? You know, I'm amazed that in my profession, so to speak, in the clergy, how many pastors that I've gotten to know who are full of vengeance? I mean, they, they're like, you cross the line, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to tell you off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's like kind of like the Clint Eastwood of pastors, man. I'm going to nail you, guys, gals, however the case is. This idea that sometimes we don't see that this is a huge issue. Part of trusting God is trusting that God's going to take care of things when we're offended. This is very difficult. Listen, it's very difficult. I'm not minimizing this. But I'm telling, I'm telling you this is an underexposed uh, part of our living out our faith is trusting God's leadership in our life. Romans 12, 19, the second part of this says, you know, says don't avenge yourself, but here's the alternative. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. We have a God who is just. We have a God who is righteous. We have a God who is holy. And if we really trust God's leadership in our life, we can give a person, a situation, an institution, something that's offended us, something that has upset us. We can give it over to God, and we can trust that God's going to take care of that. That takes faith. That takes trusting God's character. And, man, it's a fight. And, and, and yes, God did that work in me many, many years ago. But don't you begin to think I've never had to deal with this since then. I have gone back to Romans 12 many and many and many times. You know, the Psalms are such a beautiful, a beautiful expression of God's heart for us and our heart for God. And the last couple of years, I, I pray through the Psalm almost daily. I use something called the Book of Common Prayer, which is an accumulation of prayers, most of the prayers are from the Psalms. And these prayers, let me tell you what's powerful about this. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. 
So when we pray the Psalms, we're actually praying the same words Jesus prayed when he modeled prayer. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And so, and so we see many things in the Psalms. I, we, we hear about, just this week, I, I want to preach on this sometime, and, and I mentioned it earlier today, the loving kindness of the Lord. What a thought. Not just God's just kind, obligatory, like we're always trying to tell each other to be kind. God has loving kindness. Loving kindness. What is that? What does that mean? Well, in Psalm 94, we also find something about his character. Psalms 94 says, Lord God of vengeance, God of vengeance, appear, rise up, judge of the earth, repay the proud what they deserve. This is, a, this is an important prayer. Important prayer because we're trusting God. We're trusting God. We're saying, God, you're a God of vengeance. Rise up and judge the earth. Repay the proud. Now here's what's great about God. Is God knows the hearts of men and women. God knows the motives. And so we can trust him that sometimes God has dealt with somebody's heart. And he has forgiven them. And he has wiped them clean of that sin. And he has even corrected them. And the whole time, we're trying to bring vengeance upon a person God has already forgiven. And so we begin to act as an agent of the enemy. We become ourselves accusers of the brethren, accusers of the sisters. We're operating in the spirit of, of, of Satan himself because we haven't trusted God. We haven't trusted that God is a God of vengeance. And I don't know about for you, but for me, God hasn't treated me like my sins deserve. I'm under mercy. I'm under grace. If God treated me as my sins deserve, I would not be preaching this morning. If God treated me as my sins deserve, I wouldn't have a beautiful family. God hasn't treated me like I deserve because his mercy is greater than his vengeance. But I can trust that God is dealing with people. Can you trust him in that? Or are you going to be God? Are you going to be God, and are you going to be the one who tries to bring about vengeance when God says, trust me, trust me, I will repay, says the Lord. The same theme continues in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6 says, This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter. You can look at the context of that later. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. Isn't that a great line to remember? Even in the New Testament, the Lord is going to avenge. The Lord is going to take care of things. We can trust him. Do you trust God's leadership in your life? Do you trust that God is going to take care of things? You can be free. You can release that desire for revenge. You can release that desire to get back at someone because you have a God who is, knows the hearts of mankind and he is dealing with it. And he's dealing with it in a much better way than you can ever deal with it. So it is that we can see the forgiveness and mercy of God so clearly in our lives, but we don't often have the ability to see it in someone else's lives. And so what do we do? We let it go. We release it. We release it. We give it to God for his glory. Here's the last thing I want to share with you, the third point from the scripture. And I love this point so much. Conquer evil with good. Conquer evil with good. Romans chapter 12, verse 20. We continue the text Tommy read for us earlier. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. I love verse 21. Do not be conquered by evil, 
but conquer evil with good. Man, don't we need to be reminded of this? But some of us are in prisons and we're in a pit of unforgiveness and our life has stayed still. We have not made any progress because we are in a pit of unforgiveness. The person who has offended us or the group that has offended us has moved on. They're not thinking about you. They have moved on. They may not even be aware of how they've hurt you, but you are stuck. And the Lord is saying this. The Lord is saying, don't be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Get on the offensive. Start doing something positive. Start doing something meaningful. Start doing something that can impact someone else. Don't let that negative experience keep you from being everything God wants you to be. Instead, let that negative experience spur you on to be the person God created you to be. Our brother Joseph, at the end of Genesis, man, he had so much go wrong with his life, but he kept trusting God. And at the end of his life, he said, what, what was meant for evil, God turned around for good. God can turn good around in your life. I love to remind you of some of the great saints. One of them is a man named John Newton. John Newton had a very difficult life because he worked on the slave ships that would enslave human beings, and he was part of perpetuating, perpetuating that evil practice. But one year, a storm came, and during that storm, John Newton gave his life to Christ. He had had religious training that he had rejected after his mother's death, but during the storm, he gave his life to Christ. And over time, he, he stopped working in the, in the ship, and he came back to the mainland and went to an office job. And there he began to become more and more disgusted with what he had participated in. And he had realized the evil of slavery and realized what he had been involved in. So he began to have Bible studies. In these weekly Bible studies, he was influenced by the Wesley brothers. And he was influenced by George Whitfield. And he began to, each week he had a Bible study, began to write a hymn. And he would cause the, these hymns, he would take popular tunes of that day and he would change the lyrics of those popular tunes to proclaim the gospel. Many of them you would recognize today. One we sang just last month here in this church. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. This was written by John Newton, the man who used to work in the slave ships. He also took a song that was sung in the bars and he changed the words and it's become one of the most popular songs in Christendom. That is amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Working with one of his parishioners, William Wilberforce, he wrote an impactful book that helped contribute to the end of the slave trade. At the end of his life, end of his life when people were trying to talk him into slowing down and retiring, he said these words, I cannot stop what shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak. He got on the offensive. He began to repay evil with good. He wasn't conquered by evil, but he repaid evil with good. I think about Saul, who became Paul. Saul led a genocide against Christians, killing not just Christian men, but women and children also. And on the road to Damascus, God changed him and now we know more about Jesus because of Paul than almost any other human being. That's who our God is. Our God cares. Our God cares. I want to tell you one closing story, and then we'll invite the kids in for baptism. 
There was a man I was very close to at one time. He's passed on now. And if you would have known him, you would have respected him so much. You would have respected his family. And he told me the story that he had a, a business deal that went bad. And it was going to negatively affect his family. He was so much full of rage and he wanted revenge that he actually loaded a pistol and got in his car and went out to begin to find this former business partner. And as he was driving to find him, he had a flat tire. And someone pulled over in the, in the small town that he lived in. And someone he didn't know pulled over and he helped him change the tire. And when he was done, he said something to this effect. He said, it's time for you to go home. You need to turn around and go back home. So my friend did that. He went back home. And he believed until the day he died that that was an angel of the Lord that came to stop him from doing vengeance and taking vengeance in his own hands. And I'm going to tell you this, that God loves you and he doesn't want you to ruin your life through vengeance, through revenge. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to give it to God. And maybe for one, it's a flat tire and an angel of the Lord maybe has stopped and helped change the tire and helped them. But for another this day, it may be a normal sermon on October 1st, 2017, and a preacher is saying to you, do not repay evil with evil, but conquer evil with good. Don't take vengeance in your own hand. Don't take vengeance in your hand. And the word of the Lord is you today. Let it go. Let it go. It's hard. I'm not saying it's, it's easy. I'm not saying it's natural. I'm not saying it's something that you can do without the Holy Spirit's power. But right where you're sitting, the Holy Spirit, he can allow you to be that person. I want to pray with you today. Father, we release to you right now. Right, right now, we release to you. Wherever you're sitting, the Lord wants you to release vengeance. He wants you to release vengeance. He wants you to release that to him right now. Right where you're sitting. We're not going to have to do anything else. Right where you're sitting, God's going to do work in you right now. You're going to let, let it go in Jesus' name. Father, we let it go. We, we just ask that your loving kindness, your forgiveness would flow through us. It's yours, God. It's yours. It's yours. I want us to stand together.